0: and as they're going you can turn to first Peter chapter 2 and we'll be looking at verses 18 through 20 first Peter chapter 2 18 through 20 we'll give the kids a head start here before we pray All right, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear only Father, as we open your word now, may the song that we just sang, that hallelujah, that all we have is you, may that truly be the heartbeat of our lives. That when all of the things are stripped away, that we have you and you alone. There's so many things in this world that are clamoring for our attention, so many things in this world that are telling us to drink deeply of as if it would satisfy and help us to find, once again, that in your truth and in your word, there's water that will never, never run dry. Water that will quench our thirst for all of eternity. So may we drink deeply of it now. And we may we not be like the fool who looks in the mirror and goes away and forgets what he looks like. But may we look in the mirror of your word and walk away changed by your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in your son's name we pray. Amen. You may have heard the phrase before, you need to see the big picture. You know, you're, you're, you're looking too many... Too low. You need to look at the big picture, and so I want to take this illustration here. I want to just walk through an incredibly um, recent event in history, in the history of the United States, that happened, and how we're missing. How I truly do believe we're missing the big picture. Uh, This last week in Texas, there was a school shooting uh, where several uh, nineteen of some of young kids were killed, and I think two teachers. And when when anything happens like that. There's a lot of things that get said. You hear things like this, especially during this one. The police responded too slowly, right? That was the problem, If the police got there quicker. Or you may hear people say, we need more guns. If there was more guns at the school, this guy would not have come in. Or you hear the people say, we need less guns, right? Or you hear the group that says, I even heard the other day that, well, if all the doors were locked, so if we got better locks on the doors, these things wouldn't happen. And then you hear the group that says, if only we had laws against this, right? And you want to go, well, wait a minute, it's illegal what he did. So is another law going to fix it, right? But they're all looking at the immediate. As one guy said, a talk show said, he would give his right arm if there was a law that we could pass that would stop all of this. But I really do believe we have missed the big picture. I really do believe the big picture is this. We have had generation after generation after generation of a very slow, moral, rotten decay in our society. What we have had in the American society is a group that has removed God and morality out of it. We have said morality is individual. We have The family has started to disintegrate. We have a, a generation that is growing up with a cesspool of the internet that is just creating more and more debauchery, we have violence that can be seen in multiple levels, we have pornography that is given at any time, all you need to do is know the right thing to put in, and we've had all of these things and no one said, do you think that may have an impact on society? But we think that we can legislate ourselves into morality until we realize that this has been going on for such a long time that if we don't see the big picture, the immediate picture is going to be, well, we just need to make criminals less criminal. And you're gonna go, that doesn't solve anything. And so the big picture sometimes helps us pull back and to see, bringing it down into our own lives. It's hard sometimes to see the big picture. Because in the moment there are times where in our lives a thing can seem bleak and things can even seem hopeless. You can get to a point in your life if you've ever been there where you go, I don't even know what's the point of getting up today, right? Now, sometimes seeing the big picture will not happen in this life. But some of us have been given the opportunity over time to be able to look back over the course of time and seeing what God has done in our lives. Now, not all of us will get that. Some will be on eternity, we'll be able to see. But when we see those things, what you do get a chance to see, if you're able to roll back and see the big picture, you see that what God is doing in this world is not a series of random events. What God is doing in this world is orchestrating all of it for His ultimate glory. He is working all things to His perfect end. And so even when we come to the topic that we're going to be talking about today, suffering servants, there's going to be a little bit of this going, is God really in control? Does God really know what He's doing in our lives? So let's look at 1 Peter 2, verse 18-20. through He says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. "...not only to the good and to the gentle, but also to the unjust. For it is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure this is a gracious thing in the sight of God?" right, there's a couple of truths that we need to be very, very, very clear about as a church. Very, very clear. And this is, if you have a biblical worldview, this truth is one of your foundational biblical worldviews. Here's the worldview. We live in a sin-cursed world. And sin has impacted everything. It has impacted nature. It has impacted the human soul. It has impacted everything. Literally, nature groans waiting for the day to be released from this. This is why things die. This is why you will die one day. This is why we get old and fall apart. And all of these other things is because of sin. Sin has corrupted everything. And yet the Bible is written to encourage Christians to live faithfully in a sinful world. And so I'm going to give you two truths that have been true from the beginning of time until now. All right, and they will continue to be too, true. When you live in a sinful world, here is what you need to expect. Here's the first thing you need to expect, is there will be a group of people that are oppressing other people. There will be a group of people that will drive for power above all. And when they get that power, they will use it in corrupt ways to oppress others. We see this all the time. A nation gets strong, what does that nation do? It looks over at the other nation and says, I want what you have, and they take it. If only there was like a Russian-Ukraine example we could use. And we see these things being played out. And you have seen this if you study this at all. Literally, when it came down to the guy that first put together a metal spear, and he realized the guy next to him does not have a metal spear and has something he wants. The guy realized real quick, well, I can get him. All right? And take whatever I want. So this is just, when living in a sinful world, you will have people that oppress others. And now if you have people that oppress others, what will you also have then? The oppressed alright and so you literally will have this going on all throughout time that you will have a group of people that are in power and because power corrupts what will they do abuse that power and there's going to be a group of people that are getting abused by the power that is there also you will have point number two here you will have injustice injustice will happen this is what happens when you live in a sinful world injustice happens you have people that are Corrupt, and you have people that are experiencing that corruption. This is what the Bible literally tells us we should expect when we live in a sinful world. Now, when Peter is writing this, he is writing to a group of people who are Christians. Now, if you're a Christian, here's what you know. Christians have been called to shine the light of truth into this corrupt world. And what the Christian world to, is to do is to create a glimmer, if you want to call it of hope, where we stand against those things. But we know that that is not going to be a full world of that until the Lord returns and makes all things new and makes all things right. And so when Peter is writing this letter, he's writing to Christians who are living as servants or slaves all throughout the empire, the Roman empire. He's writing this to a group of people that are servants and slaves in the Roman Empire. Now, here's something I want to be clear on. I'm not going to go on some long diatribe about slavery and all these other things like that. Here's what Peter's basically saying. We are called to live in the situation that God has placed you. He's talking to a group of people that are slaves and servants to a group of people in the Roman Empire. And here's what he's going to tell them. He's going to basically say, check your attitude. This might not be your ideal situation. I doubt any of these people when they were little said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they said, a slave or a servant, right? But this is exactly where God has placed them. Now, they may even be there because of somebody else's sin in this position of slavery or servitude. They may be there because someone else... They could be there because they literally were living in a town that Rome took over. And now you're a slave. They could be there because of a corrupt governor who just sold his people away into slavery. Joseph was in the same boat as these people. He was not not a slave because he said, you know, what do we want to do today? Let's go down to Egypt and be a slave. But what Peter is doing, he's teaching these people where God has placed you there you are to thrive so point number 1 in verse 18 part a servants be subject to your masters with all respect notice this word subject if you go back to verse 13 it says be subject for the lord's sake to every human institution so the same word subject again is a voluntary submission that God has called us to but notice we are to be subject for the lord's sake What this is saying is we do our subjection, we voluntarily submit for the Lord's sake so God gets the glory as these people are submitting. They are not doing it to get a pat on the back for themselves, they are doing it to glorify and honor God above all. And we even talked about this last week. As it says, live as free men. And as we live as free men, we are living not as a servant of man, we are free from man, at the same time again we are a servant of God. Remember this, this is what Paul is saying, you literally, God has adopted you and removed you out of this bondage of slavery to sin, and now as free men, you are going to go back into to voluntary subjection to the institution that God has placed over you. And he talked about the government, and now he's talking about master and slave relationships. And I would say it is not a direct correlation, but a very close correlation into the American world here that we have as employer-employee, all right? Now, what I'm not trying to read employer-employee here, but I'm saying in our context we live in, this is very similar. Now, some of you may have an employer that you feel like you're a servant or slave to, but we're not in the same way that we're talking about here, but many of the same principles would apply. And so what we're seeing here, if I could summarize verse 18a even shorter it's saying as free servants of god when your master tells you to do something do it do it i know there's one blank with two words but i think you'll survive do it so let me give you a what does that mean to do it that would mean obey and so we say so what is obedience well i'll give you a a line that I heard from a guy once and he said here's what obedience is you do it quickly you do it quietly you do it completely and you do it cheerfully I'll repeat that again maybe if a parent needed to write that down someday you need to do it quickly you need to do it quietly quickly means when I ask you to do it and quietly means I do not need a running on the way to what I'm doing and then you were to do it completely to finish the job and You are to do it cheerfully. That does not mean it needs to be a fake cheer. Does not mean you smile and say, "What a joy I have of these wonderful parents." All right, that's called sarcasm. All right, we are to do that. Now we all laugh about kids, but let's ask ourselves this: How many of you ever been asked by your employer to do something and you did not do it quickly, quietly, completely, and cheerfully? Yet when we come home, and what do we say to our own children? Don't do as I do, just do as I say, right? And we wonder why, as the apple does not fall far from the tree, our children struggle with this. So I would encourage you, just like I would argue that Peter is saying here, when you do this with respect, here's how you do this. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 here. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. And we'll see what Paul has to say about the same concept. Galatians chapter 3, verse 22 and 24. Notice this same idea of respect and what we talked about there of of doing what your master asks you to do. Verse 22. Slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by a way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Again, notice this. What are they looking past? Their master, because they fear the Lord, they do it not just as eye-pleasers, but because they're doing it heartily under the Lord. Verse 23: uh, Whatever you do, work hard. I feel like I just said that. Whatever you do, work heartily as the Lord and not in demand. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So literally, Peter and And Paul are saying the same thing. No one's robbing each other, by the way. And what we have there is you have God literally saying in his word here, when you serve these people, you are serving me. You see right through that employer. You see right through that master and you see God. And that's who you are obeying. Now, that takes work and that takes a biblical perspective because it is really hard to see right through that person and see God. Because Peter's even going to go on to say, point number two, be subject. Now then, this being subject in verse B of 18, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Who are you supposed to respect? The gentle and the what? Unjust. Subjection is easy when you have a gentle, kind master. But when it comes to the unjust, wicked master. Now I'm going to give you, as I like to call them, these groundbreaking statements, all right, that we all need to remind ourselves every single morning when we get up, all right. Here's what I like to call these groundbreaking statements, so you can put it in. It is easy to do easy things. Anybody want to take a shot at the next blank? It is difficult though it is hard to do hard things and you all sit there and go wow what a phenomenal truth but I would argue right now we live in America where guess what we like to do easy things I mean how many times have this is I've heard this and we're going to dive into this a whole lot deeper how many times have I heard someone ready to go lift something heavy they go oh that's that's heavy as if that's an excuse to what not lift it right because if it's heavy then oh, I don't really know when to lift it right I don't know how many times where my wife has even said can we move another piece of furniture again and I will go oh that one's really heavy as if that was the excuse for me not to do the hard thing all right but if you're a spouse you know the number one piece of furniture you want to move the heaviest right no one ever wants to move the light one but anyway as we walk through those things this is what we're called and I, as a teacher this is what I would say so many times to the kids they used to say things like this you know what when I coach soccer it takes a lot of work to get in shape and I would go yeah because it just because it's hard doesn't mean you don't have to do it and they would look at me and so one of the things I used to be able to do which I stopped coaching soccer at the time but I used to run with them to go stop complaining I'm doing the same thing with you all right and it stopped the complaining but they would still just complain about how far we went But just because it's hard doesn't mean you don't do it. So, but here's what I hear. You know, it's hard to love my spouse. Or it's hard to do this. Or it's hard to do that. It's hard to ask for forgiveness. Or it's hard to talk to that person. Or it's hard. You can just fill in the blank. And what are we using that as? An excuse. Well, if I say that to someone, that's going to be really a difficult conversation to have. Oh, now that's what? that's okay then right don't have it no but this is literally what he's saying here. Peter's going anybody can submit in an easy situation but when the situation is difficult or unjust what do we all want to do I have my rights right but the problem is this if your hope rests in this world and this world alone you will do everything you can to preserve your life in this world if you're Worldview is right now is all we've got. Literally, you will have to go, you know what? I'm being treated unfairly. I better do what? I better change it now because this is all what I have. But when you see the big picture, when you see the, the broad picture of what God is doing, you will start to see like Paul did. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4.17 and I would encourage you. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 is a passage of Scripture that you need to have memorized over and over and over and over again. Start in verse 16, too, by the way. 16 and 17, you need to have memorized. If you do not have this underlined in your Bible, underline it. Um, I would just encourage you, because Paul gives us, I would call these spiritual nuggets to help us in our, this daily life. He says in verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outward nature is wasting our way, our inward nature is being renewed day by day. For these light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we do not look to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. And he goes on to talk about this. And as what he's doing, he's saying, look at the comparison battle. These light momentary afflictions that you're being put under compared to the weight of glory that is yet to come. He said it does not even stack up. And so you can work through these light momentary afflictions, even though in the moment they feel like it's going to take forever. But when you see eternity, when you see the big picture, these moments here are but for a moment you are here, but you are with him for all of eternity. We need to see the big picture. But you say, but wait a minute, that's unjust, that's unfair. When you start to see the big picture, you start to understand what God has in store. And we'll start looking at Peter's argument here, but back to first Peter chapter 1 because when I was a kid um, God gave me a really good sense of fairness and I tried to share that with everyone especially when I felt as if I was being treated unfairly because I had a little brother named Mark and good old Mark and I would have disagreements Uh, Mark did not see things the way I wanted to see them Or do the thing that I wanted him to do and we would have a an argument and my dad would come in and he would say Tim one of you has to be the peacemaker now I truly cared about my brother's sanctification and his growth in Christ and I wanted to encourage him to learn peacemaking skills as if he was the one that was going to be the peacemaker because what did I knew I was right and he was wrong and so I would look at him and say mark And my dad would go, one of you needs to. And I would go, but if I do it, I'm wrong because I'm right. And if I have to admit that I'm wrong, then I am being treated unfairly. And then my dad, which would just always just crack me up, would go, but Tim, there is a blessing in that. I'm like, no, there's not. And he would say, yes, there is. Matthew 5, 10. The Beatitudes, blessing, blessing from God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, because what is theirs? The kingdom of heaven. And he would say, Guess what? When you do what is right and it is said it is wrong, there's a blessing in that. A blessing that you will have eternal life, everlasting, because that is what happens. He's saying right there in front of him. I'd say, But I'll let my brother have that blessing, because what am I? Vengeance is Tim says Tim. Right? I will repay, because my vengeance is better than his no what does God tell us vengeance is his he'll repay so even if injustice is being done to you it is not your job to correct all the wrongs he will and he will do it far better than ever you will do it but what we like to do is say this I got this God I understand it right I'm ready to tell you what is fair and what is just and everything else and we put ourselves on the throne instead we are to be like Christ and we will spend a whole lot more time talking about this next week But notice what verse 19 tells us for this is a gracious thing meaning to respect and place yourself under unjust masters it is a gracious thing when mindful of God one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly point number three be subject looking to Christ be subject looking to Christ What does it mean to be mindful of God? Well, being mindful of God literally means look to Him as His example. Look to Christ as His example and follow it. Because Peter is going to go and even go further. So let's look at verse 21. I'm not going to preach this. We'll preach this next week. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you may follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. But when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continue entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. That was our example. This is the example we are called to follow. And again, we'll explore that in greater detail in the next coming weeks. But at the heart of being a Christian, at the heart of what does it mean to be a Christian, you literally, by definition, are a little Christ. So if you are a follower of God, you will do what he did. You will follow what he followed. You will do the example. And this is the example that he has called us to. One of the most wonderful things, one of the most absolutely wonderful things... In the great plan of redemption that we see is that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And what does that mean? That means he felt the same things we felt. He experienced the same things we experienced. He was treated unfairly. Second Corinthians five twenty one 21 reminds us that he bore our sins. He suffered as we suffered. Jesus knew and understood and dealt with and understood the injustices that will happen well he was down here on earth but what is he coming back to do to make all things new and to make all things right and we wait for that day I would argue many times we can get caught up in some things that we should not be caught up in thinking that somehow we are going to go about writing every wrong instead of realizing that it is Christ and Christ alone that will do that but I want to spend a moment here because these words of justice and injustice are being flung around. I don't even know an example of how they're being flung around by just, they're just getting tossed all over the place, all right, in our culture. To the point where I don't even know if any of you, when I was right working on this, I'm like, how do you define injustice versus justice? I mean, it just gets tossed around all over the place. Literally, The church, though, has been called to stand against evil and injustice, so we better figure out what that is, right? But let me, I'm gonna go with the very foundation of this and start building up. I'm gonna tell you, this is not injustice. If I do not call or say that a man can get pregnant, I'm not being unjust nor if I do not choose to use a pronoun that is a not God-given thing, that is not injustice. But what has happened in our culture is whoever gets to the door first and says, injustice, and I'll define it, all the rest of us start to, we don't know what to do. I'll give you an example of this. It would be no different than when I was little, when I started getting a little bit smarter, but I was one of the slower ones. I just let my fists do the talking, my brothers... We're a little bit smarter than Tim in those worlds. But some of the times I would learn, I would get there and go, Mark did this, and no matter what he says, he did it, and he's going to deny it, which proves he what? Did it, so if I cornered him, what is Mark's only response? If he denies it, what does that mean? He did it, so all he can say is, I guess I did it, right? We live in that world right now, where it's like as long as you have a theory... Now, whatever the theory is, as long as you say, if you don't agree with me, it's injustice, then the rest of us are left with going, well, well, if I don't agree with you, what am I that? And you're going to go, you just circled the wagon and there's not even a, we're able to have a conversation. But the Bible does not leave us hanging. The Bible does not give us the ability to go, as long as you're the first guy to dad, right, and explain your story and say he's going to deny it, now the truth doesn't matter. We know the truth. And God's word does not leave us hanging. Psalm 98, 14 You don't need to turn there. I want you to go to Leviticus, but while you're turning to Leviticus 19, Psalm 89, 14 literally tells us justice is the foundation of God's throne. Your throne is built on justice and righteousness. So if God's throne is literally built on justice and righteousness, by sheer definition, we should look to his word to find out what is justice and righteousness and what is right and wrong. You following how this works? All right, and so as we follow this in Luke 19, in Luke 19, 15... Luke. why am I saying Leviticus like I said Leviticus see that's why I sent you to Leviticus so if I change my mind Leviticus 19 now we're gonna spend some time talking about this so this is again I want to make sure we're clear because sometimes Bible believing Christians we can forget that this literally was written by God for us. He gave it to Moses and Moses wrote it down. All right, So when, just to make sure we're clear on this, this is not Moses' way of thinking. Okay, This is God's way of thinking. So when he says it, again, to disobey or disbelieve the Bible is to disobey or disbelieve God. Okay, So as a believer, we have no other place to go. So here's what it says. You shall do no injustice in court. And then it describes what it is. You shall not be partial to the poor or differ to the great, meaning be fair. Following that? But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer. That means lying about your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. And just in case you're wondering who wrote this, I am the Lord. Let's keep going. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. He even goes further than just actions. Let's go right to the heart. But you shall fully reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then just in case you're wondering who said this, I am the Lord. The Lord here very clearly explains what justice is. It is standing for the truth. Remember, one of the things that in the Judeo-Christian hangover that we have had in our country for many years, one of the reasons why Lady Justice is blind is because truth is not based on the person speaking. Truth is based on the unchanging law of God. So it doesn't matter if you're poor or if you're... Have tons of money, the truth doesn't change. And so if it's true this day, it will be true this day over here. God's word explains it. It's saying we give fair balance. We speak the truth and we let the truth and we proclaim the truth. And so what happens is this it is not, I, these whole injustices and not justice, that whole, all of the prefixes there are confusing. So if injustice is the the idea of not fully proclaiming the truth. So it would be unjust for me to say that a man, a biological man, can have a baby. Following that word would be injustice. Because that's not the truth. The truth is women do. And we can define women. But say you can't define women is actually injustice to women. But what is happening in our culture is we have just gone, woo like this with all of it. And we are, we are literally calling the truth a lie and the lie a truth. And we wonder, why is it that we can't even figure this out? And so why is it when a kid gets upset, he shoots his grandma and everybody else and kills all these people? And I would go, well, it makes sense. Why? Because we have totally lost the truth. And we have literally said, this is the lie and here's the lie. From birth all the way to the grave, life has no intrinsic value. And we push that. And so all of a sudden, before you know it, how do you even know what justice is? And so what we have in front of us is this. And this is the call on the church as we followers of God, injustice is the distorting of what God has established as good, beautiful and true and is replacing it with a selfish version. When mankind thinks I'm going to define what is good, beautiful and true. When mankind does this, that is injustice. When we submit to what God has done, that is justice. Now, Putting this all in context here. And so as we think through this here for a moment, we literally are put in the the place here of saying, yes, when Peter is writing this, there was slaves and there were servants and there was all these other things going on and many of them were in there for wrong reasons. But what does God's word say? Here's when even you're put in places that are not God honoring, you follow the example of Christ. Understanding that Tough times are going to come. But this is not our home. We're passing through. We are sojourners. We are exiles. That, yeah, you're going to be mistreated. Like, you should be surprised when you're not. You following that? Because Peter tells us that. If you haven't got the theme of Peter's, you're going to be mistreated. It's just a matter of when. All right? When we take that mindset, and then when that comes, what we do, we bless instead of curse. The world will have no clue what to do. Peter tells us that all the time. You will put the silence, the foolish men, you will, they will all of a sudden glorify God in the day of visitation because they're going to see these things. Peter's all about this. And so our heart and our mind is this. We can sit here and we can mull what are we supposed to do, how are we supposed to respond to the latest, greatest thing, or we can stand and boldly proclaim the truth. To a lost and dying world. Because Christians have been called to follow Jesus' example in suffering and to submit to those in authority for his glory. The song we're going to close with is uh, It Is Well With My Soul. And the It Is Well With My Soul, I, the whole backstory of that, uh, I believe um, Russ had shared that with us again, is about a man who had lost his family. And he's talking about when he gets to the spot of the shipwreck where his family was, he pens these words. But it's very interesting, though, that I love that song because it's a great picture of the Christian walk, that there's going to be hard times, and you should expect hard times. You should expect to be mistreated. You should expect to be wronged. You should expect these things, but it does not completely cause us to lose all hope. That when the things are crashing on us, we can literally say, It is still well with my soul. Now, the, here's what I, I want to be clear. There are times where you may be saying it, even though your soul is not, but what have we learned? We've learned many times I have to say things to the point where I get to the point where it goes from my mouth to my heart. Because I don't, in my own life, I've had some slight bits of anxiety in my own life, and I'm saying it like that. And there are times where I know, like I could preach a sermon on anxiety but it has yet to penetrate my heart. And I have to say it and I have to share with you guys these things because I'm going, I'm working on it too as well by the Spirit's grace to get those things to drive deep into my soul because it's really easy when things are going well. But right now, and I'll tell you, and I'll just be as honest as I can be right now. And we talked about it last week, but I'll tell you what we face on certain days, but we don't face on certain days. This is the double talk that Tim says all the time. God knew this was going to happen. He knows when inflation is going to stop. He knows it's going to get worse. He knows when the gas prices are going to go down. He knows when they're going to go up. He has planned these things, and I must submit to his gracious planning, even though it pains me to fill up with gas every single time, and I grumble. Instead of saying, if I'm going to grumble about gas, when he starts taking away my health even more, am I setting myself up to be a grumbler am I setting myself up to be a person that says whatever comes I know my Lord is in control because I'm not living for right now because here's the worst thing that would happen so I spend all my money on gas right I fill up the truck and now we're bankrupt right so I don't have the money to feed my family and in three days we start or an eternal glory with God, which is far better. Now, I don't want to be morbid, but let's be honest. What's the best thing that could happen to a believer? You pass from this life to the next. But yet, because we are so nearsighted, we hold on to this life as it's all we got. But what did Paul tell us? Comparison. These light momentary afflictions are nothing compared to the weight that is before us. And when we live that way, whether we are justly or unjustly placed under a master, we can have our mindset in God, that our eyes are on him and him alone. Let's pray. Dearly Father, guide us. Give us wisdom. There are so many things that by your grace we need to learn. So as we sing this song, may these truths that we're about to proclaim, may they just be driven deep into our hearts and our minds, that we may be fully, fully faithful to what you've called us to. We ask these things in your son's powerful name we pray. Amen. So if you could stand with us as we sing.